Live from the Redeemer Radio 95.7 studios in the shadows of the Golden Dome, this is Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. The game of the season is just about here. Fourth-ranked Notre Dame hosting top-ranked Clemson. Trevor Lawrence has tested positive for COVID-19. Will he be available for the game? And we're still seven days away from that game. Notre Dame on the road today at Georgia Tech. Don't forget, they got a game before Clemson. Welcome to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Notre Dame FCU, where you bank does matter. I'm Ajo DiCarlo. Joined, as always, by Kevin Downey. Kevin, Notre Dame made a statement last Saturday against Pitt, crushing the Panthers 45-3. Everyone expects the Irish now to follow suit against Georgia Tech. They've been blown out two weeks in a row. And he has admitted to being looking ahead to Clemson. Got to play to that championship level. Plus, you get this Trevor Lawrence news of testing positive for COVID-19. Is he going to be available for the game? So, I ask you this. Is today a trap game for Notre Dame? <laughs> it could be. I think, you know, taking into account all the strangeness of the year, um, I'd still say I'd be a little leery of looking too far ahead uh, if I were Notre Dame just with the Louisville performance. But... It's just such a bizarre year, and, and it's going to be human nature to look ahead to Clemson. Um, but hopefully, after they get going and out on the field, they can they can stay focused on the game at hand. All right, on tap on this morning's show, our spotlight interview is with three-time Paralympian world champion high jumper Sam Grew, the Middlebury native. And Notre Dame senior lost his leg to cancer when he was 12. He was adopted by the Notre Dame football team during that 2012 season. He says. He wouldn't be where he is today if not for that team's love for him. A great inspirational interview next segment. We'll let you know what to expect from Georgia Tech, mainly the talent at quarterback and running back, a couple linebackers that are okay. But as always this season, let's start with a COVID update. And, well, the COVID update today is not about the Irish, not about Georgia Tech, but about next week's opponent, Clemson, and star quarterback Trevor Lawrence, who has tested positive for COVID-19. It was announced Thursday night. ACC protocols say those that test positive must remain in isolation for 10 days from the day they were tested or when symptoms started. Lawrence's test uh, took place on Wednesday, so 10 days from that, he had to stay in isolation through Friday, November 6th. He took part in media on Tuesday, but did he start perhaps feeling symptoms, mild symptoms, Tuesday night? Maybe that allows him to get on a plane Friday? Do they decide to wait until Saturday to travel with it being a night game? Does he travel on his own on Saturday to, to Notre Dame? Is he going to be ready? He still has to do other things. He's got to get EKGs. He's got to get health screenings to make sure he's okay, and he can't show symptoms. Um, this would be unquestionably the quickest anyone has come back. If he does come back, they're basically at Notre Dame, you got to wait 14 days. Mm -hmm. They have 10 days, and then they have like four, four days where they ramp you up. Clemson doesn't have that additional four-day period. So it'll be interesting to see if he can play. Um, but, wow. Uh, first, let's start with this. I text you to say, <laughs> holy cow, Trevor Lawrence tested positive. What was your initial reaction other than I believe it was wow? <laughs> yeah, no, no. I thought, wow, this could be um, really huge uh, for Notre Dame. I mean, he's one of the best players in the country, probably <laughs> number one draft pick. At quarterback, he really just wins. Um, six six, he can throw, run, everything. But then I googled, searched his uh, backup, and that guy's pretty good too. He's only six four, two forty, but he was a 
a really good player too. Five-star freshman DJ Uyan Gulule. Now, there's some speculation on the pronunciation. That's how it's listed in the official Clemson uh, media guide. DJ Uyan Gulule, and I'm giving myself a pat on the back. No, it's pretty good for uh, if it's correct. But he's a five-star freshman, the number one rated freshman in the country. So yeah, if, not that bad of a drop-off. Yeah. In theory, he, now he still hasn't I mean, played. He hasn't played much. I mean, only a mop-up duty. So, yeah. um, but we know they have a lot of pieces around to support him, and they still will likely be the favorite if Trevor Lawrence is not playing. But let me ask you this: If he plays on no practice, I mean, he basically would play on no practice. Yeah. For essentially almost two full weeks of practice time because he would have practiced maybe Tuesday and then that's it and then miss Wednesday Thursday and then all the following week can can do you feel like he can be effective in the game if he were to play with no practice for 10 days I think I think it'd be tough to be honest with you but I mean he is he's only known the one system he's done really really well um I don't know. I guess a bigger coaching question would be to to also look and evaluate how how DJ <laughs> comes in. That you know the the backup quarterback. If he's on fire and everything's good and yeah, uh, you feel confident with it, then I I'd probably start with him. Um, but that's tough because you know Trevor Lawrence is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Well, and there Clemson is at Boston College today. Mm -hmm. uh, DJ Uyangulule will get the start for for them today. Yeah, I mean, I think if he throws five touchdowns today, Clemson wins in a blowout, Dabo Sweeney might just say after the game, guys, we're not going to rush Trevor back. Yeah. His health's most important. Or even if he does get back, let's let's yeah, let's have right, him you know, slowly get back in since he missed two but weeks I'm of practice. But I'm saying he may just – it's very – we haven't heard from Dabo yeah. outside of a statement. It's very possible Dabo says after the game, Trevor's not playing next week. Yeah. You know, it's as simple as that. Or he might say – uh, if he's healthy, we'll if he can do it, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. So, you know, well, and Clemson had their their kind of COVID bout really early in the whole yes, thing, you point. know, really early uh, in late summer. So, so, I don't know. Maybe they're, I don't want to say more used to it. Nobody's used to it, but no. you know, um, maybe they're more in line with what they they want to do with it. So, well, it'll be very interesting to see what Davo says after the game. I mean, it'll. Yeah. It, it, I don't. I don't know what he'll say. I. I think he's actually going to get annoyed. If they win fifty-two to ten, and the first question is, so is Trevor uh, available next week? <laughs> and then the second question is, so about Trevor? Uh, well, you know, Devil you know, gets annoyed anyway. So. <laughs> he got annoyed last week that they uh, after the Syracuse game. So I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't answer the question because he acts like you guys should be asking me about how our team performed today, not about next week. So I could easily see that being how that press conference goes. Um, and again, okay, let me ask you this, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move on and talk more about Notre Dame aspect. Put this in the context. If, if he plays – well, let me ask you this. Do, do you want him to play? Should Notre Dame fans want Trevor Lawrence to play? Is, is this a game where if you beat them without Trevor Lawrence, it's not – going to be viewed as a true victory over Clemson like that you didn't really beat the number one team in the country because the best guy wasn't there do you see what I'm saying I see what you're saying um I mean I don't know I think you beat Clemson 
Yes, they they would be without one of the better players, but I don't. Wouldn't they get their chance in the ACC playoffs too? Yeah, I mean, here's in theory. Here, my my <clears throat> thinking is, if this was the ACC championship game mm-hmm. or a playoff game, then I could see an Irish fan going, "Yeah, I, you know, I don't mind if he has. <laughs> we want him to stay healthy and be out another day or two. You know, what I mean, I could see that in that scenario because in that scenario. It's, it's a, a one-shot deal. Well, it's a one-shot deal. Yeah. So I get it. Here, I don't know. I think it. I think you'd rather have him play. And to me, I mean, but I understand a win over Clemson with all their talent is going to be huge, no matter, no matter what. what. <laughs> no question. All right. So with that said, um, I I still think. Look, we just talked ten minutes about Clemson. Yeah. And Notre Dame has talked all week. Starting last week, before the pick game, Brian Kelly stunned everybody by starting to say, "Look, we got to play to a championship level. We can't, we can't be playing. This is not, this is not acceptable." And he's already been looking ahead. Um, he threw the one game at a time mentality out the window. Here's what Coach Kelly said after the game versus Pitt, and then a follow up question I have for him on Monday. You know, a lot of times you, you kind of get caught up in the grind of you know just trying to win football games and. You know, uh, we, we kind of said, look, we're past this. You know, we're, we're not interested in just winning football games. We're interested in being a championship football team. And, and, and just playing to win games is not good enough anymore. Um, we, need to, we need to elevate our compete level. Uh, we need to coach better. We need to play better. We need to play at an elite level. That was the challenge. And that's, you know, it's risky, right? Because you're, in, in some instances, people would say, well, you're looking ahead. Well, we are looking ahead a little bit. We, we needed to get this football team to understand that they are really good and we needed to up our compete level in all three phases. We did that today. Saturday, you said you guys were playing, you needed to play at a championship level. You kind of hinted at being ready for Clemson, but you didn't use their name. I'm curious with your team at all, have you specifically talked about Clemson and said their name to them to say, hey, if we want to beat these guys November 7th, we have to play at this championship level? No, I mean, I, I think it's implicit that our guys know who's on the schedule and, and what we have to do, um, you know, to to win a championship. So it, it's, it's here, here's what I said exactly. You know, the, the acronym WIN is, is what's important now, but it also means what's important next. And um, certainly we're going to prepare the right way, uh, for Georgia Tech, and that's what's important now. But the, the way you play and how you play um, sets you up for what's next. And what's next is you know what you need to do to win a championship and who you have to play down the road. So that was implicit in, in that conversation without having to say, hey, guys, in a couple of weeks, we're playing Clemson. Wink, wink, wink. Um, so we didn't need to do that. You know, if he actually told us what he said to his guys was, hey, guys, we're playing Clemson a couple weeks, wink, 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 I would have really laughed. That would have been funny. But uh, with what he said, are you – I mean, you're a former coach. Have you ever Have you ever said, hey, uh, guys, we, we got Marion in a couple weeks. Let's make sure we're playing to our standard while we're going out here facing these other two teams before them? Uh, no, it's a little different. It's really different for, for Brian Kelly, too. Um, I guess – I guess the one thing that would be good would be just to emphasize, hey, we have a good team. We have uh, a good defense, good offensive line, good quarterback. This is our chance. <laughs> Make sure that you lock in. But, yeah, no, it's it's very different, the 
What's important next? I, I don't know. I guess, you know, 2020. Who would have guessed? I, Brian I, Kelly kind of is looking ahead. I, I will I will say. That's not coach speak. Huh? It's just not normal. No, but it's always impressive when coaches come up with a intriguing <laughs> and unique way to spin things and oh, yeah, come up with a way to motivate their team. Oh, the acronym W-I-N <laughs> is what's important now and what's important next. I mean... I know he didn't come up with that. You know, he's got a team. <laughs> I mean, he may have, but he's got a, a, a he's got someone that they hired specifically. The to acronym help. coach. Not an acronym <laughs> coach, but they have someone for this. And I thought that's an impressive one. I'll give him credit. Now, and 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 basically they're saying, hey, look, if we don't play like Clemson is today, yeah. we're not gonna beat Clemson. I mean, I think when you when you mark it down, that's what they're saying. Play today like you're playing Clemson. Well, and again, you look at schedule. Clemson's the people they have to beat if they want to get to that next level. Yeah. So that's not bad just to state the obvious. All right. So what were the Irish players' reaction to hearing this looking ahead mantra suddenly after their entire lives of playing sports being told, uh, take it one game at a time? I think his message to us kind of put something in our minds saying that, um, 12 to 7 wins over Louisville aren't acceptable. We need to be doing better than that, and we are better than that. And we showed that last week. Hopefully, we continue this week and going on the rest of the season. Were you surprised to hear it? Because obviously, you mentioned the one one game at a time. It's what you know you always hear in sports. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I was a little surprised to hear it because they're always preaching what's important now. But he had more of a what's important next mindset and uh, told us that we need to step our game up. Um, to prove that we're, we're, in fact, number four team in the country, top four team in the country. I brought it up to Coach Lee. I was a little confused at first, but Coach Lee helped me walk through it, and he's just talking about we just got to play loose and free, and sometimes you got to take a step back and remember where you're headed because if you're always under a microscope, you can't really see the big picture. So uh, together, we just really uh, it helped us focus on our long-term goals while not forgetting that being in the moment is key in our success. Obviously, Clemson's on the list, and that, that game's been circled for a while, so it's hard to not think about it. But we got to go. We got a job to do this week, and we got to go down to Georgia Tech and get the win, and and uh, and then it's time for Clemson. But I think it was the right message just to get guys to understand, you know, this, you know, that game's been circled on our list for a while now. It's an extremely important game, and, uh, I, again, I think the guys are just extremely excited for it and, you know, mostly just – that's why you come to Notre Dame. You, you come to Notre Dame to play in huge games like that. And we have an opportunity, you know, to go out there and, you know, and play our best and, and play Clemson. So it's something you see on the schedule. It's something circled for sure. But uh, we got a job to do this week first. Everyone probably recognizes that voice. That was Ian Book at the end. I apologize. I didn't name him beforehand. Kyle Hamilton was first, linebacker Bo Bauer, and then quarterback Ian Book. I, I love Bo Bauer's comment. I had a I had a co-ask Coach Lee. I'm a little confused. Uh, what did he just say? <laughs> it's like, uh, did he just say we are got to play ahead? And What? <laughs> I mean, it's like I can, I can see it's that. It's not in the playbook. <laughs> I haven't told my whole life one game at a time. So, I mean, again, I mean, you got Hamilton spitting out what's important now, what's important next. So, I think it's working in that regard. And it's an interesting take. I think, I think it was a good idea until Trevor Lawrence tested positive. Because yeah. my, my – I mean, 
it's not his fault. Brian Kelly doesn't know that's <clears throat> going to happen, right? But my point is, Thursday night, Notre Dame players are hitting refresh on their Twitter feeds yeah. all night long, just like us in the media were. They're, and fans are. They're looking like crazy. What's the update? What's the update? Is he out? Is he out? That's human nature. So for the last 48 hours... They've been thinking a lot of Clemson. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what makes today a potential trap game. Well, and I don't want to get us spun out, but I did think right away. After, you know, who's the backup for Clemson? DJU. Who's the backup for Notre Dame if Ian Book goes down? Like, we're just not at the same level. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he's good. He reminds me of Tommy Reese. Just a a nice average football player. Hopefully that wins a whole lot, right? Um, Yeah, I don't know. Just different. Two different programs. But that's, again, if they can beat them in two weeks, Anj. So, sorry. Bringing it back. They got to. Next week. They got to get through. (laughs) I guess two games. Yes. They have to get through uh, Georgia Tech. Yeah, we we should name them. <laughs> Georgia, that. <laughs> Georgia Tech. It's nine eighteen here on the Saturday of the game. Georgia Tech is today's opponent, not Clemson. Um, speaking of which, Kevin Austin, Braden Lindsay will not play in this game. Kevin Austin reaggravated his ankle injury before the pick game the Thursday before. He's out for the season. He hadn't done anything, but he was supposed to be expected to be the savior at wide receiver, yeah. and now he's out for the year. Huge loss in that regard. If he was going to live up to that potential. Well, and Lindsay's super fast. And Brayden so Lindsay. He will be missed. Yes. Brayden Lindsay re-injured his hamstring last week, needed PRP treatment. He's out at least two weeks, won't play today, won't play against Clemson, could be out up to a month. And then Ben Skoranek, finally healthy, Yeah, showed he was pretty good last week uh, against Pitt. A couple nice touchdowns. That's what we were expecting when we talked about him in week one, right? Yeah. And, and he showed it. Now the question is, can he bring it the rest of the season? Well, yeah, he has talent and the experience. Um, uh, uh, slowed by injury. I don't know. I guess I, I'm like you. I had high, higher expectations. But, hey, he had some breakout catches. Yeah, and Jordan Johnson, who's the standout freshman that everyone's like, where's Jordan Johnson? Where's Jordan Johnson? Where's Jordan Johnson? He finally – he's been on scout team the whole time mm. um, because he, I think he's, he's getting assimilated to Notre Dame academics yeah. when you're not in class you're taking virtual you're doing this you're doing that study study table is not the same probably i imagine you know he's still getting up to speed he finally went up and ian book praised him and said man he was catching a lot of touchdowns <laughs> now we didn't get the follow-up to ask uh, were you throwing the ball to him or was it <laughs> brendan clark um it so i don't think we're gonna see jordan johnson today maybe you will briefly Damn. but i don't know I mean, look, the bottom line is wide receiver remains a major issue for this team. A mystery. Definitely a work in progress at best. It's it's their most vulnerable position and I don't they better get they better throw the ball a lot today. I can't believe I'm saying that about Notre Dame. <laughs> <laughs> I've always thought establish the run, establish the run. But they gotta get the pass game. They they got it going last week. It's gotta continue because if they don't have a pass game next week, it doesn't matter who's playing quarterback for Clemson, you you're not gonna beat them. All right, uh, did you know that Notre Dame Federal Credit Union is the largest Catholic credit union in the United States? Notre Dame FCU has served over 800 Catholic entities in over 25 dioceses nationwide. These include colleges, parishes, schools, food pantries, homeless shelters, and Catholic radio stations, including Redeemer Radio. Member-owned not-for-profit banking is the way to go. You're a share of values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. All right, coming up. 
We'll talk about Georgia Tech and concerns they could post today. But up next, a great inspirational story as I chat with Middlebury native and Notre Dame senior Sam Grew. He lost his leg to cancer when he was 12. Now, nine years later, he's a three-time Paralympian world champion in the high jump. And he owes a big thank you to Notre Dame football. That story is next on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays on Redeemer Radio. We know you like football. So do we. We're TireRack.com, and this is our version of a two-minute drill, except it's only 30 seconds. TireRack.com has an enormous selection of tires. Not sure which ones to buy? Use our tire decision guide to find the right tires for your vehicle and the way you drive. Then get them shipped fast and free on all orders over $50. Shipping is in as little as one day. Free. TireRack.com ships to independent, recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Touchdown! For those that haven't seen the news, legendary actor Sean Connery has passed away at the age of 90 years old. Uh, man, I can remember a lot of good things. Uh, I loved him in James Bond. Bond. James Bond. <laughs> Sir Sean Connery. I mean, I loved him in The Rock with Nicolas Cage in 1996. That was a, that was a fun movie for me. And uh, yeah, um, I mean, my best memory is not even him being played. It's Saturday Night Live impersonating him on Celebrity Jeopardy. <laughs> I'll take... I can't say some of the... It's Catholic Radio. We can't say some of those the topics on uh, from Celebrity Jeopardy that they had on... I'm very... I caught myself uh, very close. So Sean Connery, unfortunately, may rest in peace. Sir Sean Connery, a legendary actor uh, from England. All right. Um, time now for our Spotlight interview. And uh, first, before that, want to thank uh, Tyrac for all their support of our internship program that we run with students from St. Joseph and Marion High Schools here in Michigan. The students receive practical college-level internship experience helping out with our broadcast of high school football. Wouldn't be possible without the underwriting support from the folks at Tyrac. More tires, great prices. Visit Tyrac.com. Sam Grew is a Middlebury native, 21-year-old Notre Dame senior. He lost his leg to cancer when he was 12. I got to know him back then. He was adopted by the Notre Dame football team during that 2012 season thanks to a chance meeting at the hospital with then-Notre Dame staffer Ernest Jones. Sam credits that team for lifting his spirits and helping him get to where he is today. So where is he today? He's a three-time Paralympian world champion in the high jump. In fact, he's the world record holder. The only thing he hasn't done is win gold at the Paralympic Games itself. He won silver in 2016, and of course we know 2020 games were postponed. That's where we begin our conversation, a really inspirational one with someone who I've seen grown up into a great man who hopes to be a doctor one day. Here's my conversation with Sam Grew. Pretty neat to have you here. I feel like we've known each other for a long time, and now you're a grown adult here, almost ready to graduate from college. Right now, you could be sitting here as a, Olympic, a Paralympic gold medalist, but obviously COVID put an end to that, and, and you've got the Paralympics next year. Just give us an update on the latest on, first of all, having it postponed and how difficult that was to now trying to prepare for the Paralympics, hopefully uh, next summer. Sure, yeah. So with the postponement, the initial instinct is is obviously frustration because we train for years for an event like that. Um, and then it kind of shifts to, oh, well, this is an extra year to train. You know, I could be bigger, faster, stronger in that time. Um, and that was kind of the mindset I, ch I chose to try to run with for a while, but it, I kind of quickly realized training is not the same anymore. You know, I can't, it's not like I'd be 
training an extra year under normal circumstances. It'd be training in the COVID era where I have to isolate for two weeks at a time if I'm close contact traced, or I have to, you know, wear a mask in practice, which, um, you know, is a whole learning curve in itself. And so it's not easy to adjust, especially with a big change uh, in an event I've been planning for for so long. You know, at this point, it, it it's irresponsible to plan for anything. And so I think us and all the athletes just sort of take it day by day. Did you feel like you were... You're at the level that you're 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 sending to the point that you could have won gold. Totally, I think I was in the best shape of my life. Um, you know, last March when Notre Dame sent the athletes home, obviously that took away my training opportunity as a Notre Dame athlete, um, and so it was frustrating to kind of just slowly see all my progress, you know, kind of fade away. Um, obviously, I maintained as much as I could, but without access to a track or a high jump pit, it's hard to do, you know, the same sort of training I would be doing. That being said, I, I think I've regained it and I'm even in better shape now and, and super excited to see where I'll be in a few months, uh, you know, for trials and then a few months later with the actual game. So I guess we'll wait and see. Three-time world champion, Sam Grew, Middlebury native, Notre Dame senior. You have a smile as I say that. I, is it still surreal to hear your name listed next to world champion you know it yes totally uh and i think the the part that's craziest to me is just like how that time has passed uh you know we were just talking before this about how 2015 my first world championship um that feels like last week um and so to have you know two additional world championship titles on top of that and a paralympic medal and a world record uh it's just kind of mind-boggling to me like when did I do that? Um, you know, where did the time go? And so to be here today with, with that sort of, um, you know, laundry list of, of accolades is really cool. And it's really cool to look back and just sort of see where I was then and where I am now. Oh, well, it's really cool for, for me to see it because I've known you since you were about 12 years old. Now you're 21 and, you know, first meeting you, you're, you're a kid with cancer and couldn't fathom at that point, right. That that you're going to eventually be a world champion Paralympian. Take us back to, you know, when you were first diagnosed with osteosarcoma, you know, it was right at Christmas in, in 2011. And were, were you feeling bad? Did you know something was wrong? And how difficult was it when you heard the news? And then obviously, eventually, when you're told, we're gonna have to take your leg. The, the pain that I was experiencing wasn't out of, out of, it wasn't abnormal, I guess. I had, uh, I had grown eight eight inches in the year previous and uh, so growing pains were normal and expected and so having a, a you know a pain in my right knee was just another day um, and so we got it checked out and it was uh, kind of shrugged off as probably just a strained IT band and I was sent home with you know stretching uh, techniques and ice and Advil whatever uh, and, and the pain got considerably worse over the next few weeks until uh, it was time to go back in um, and I could tell by the way that by the doctor's demeanor that it was pretty bad. And so, um, you know, that was two days before Christmas and then hearing the word cancer in a diagnosis, is just an entirely different world that it takes you to, uh, you can never plan for anything like that, uh, especially as a 12 year old. Um, and I think obviously there's the, there's the sadness and the anger, but the biggest thing that I remember was just the confusion and the uncertainties that surrounded it. I felt like none of my questions were able to be answered because they're, just weren't answers for it, uh, at least at that moment in time. There was just so many different, um, you know, biopsies and tests that needed to be taken before I had any sort of understanding of, of uh, what was going on. And then, you know, fast forward, my uh, orthopedic surgeon actually gave me two choices 
for what to do with my leg. The, uh, the first choice was actually limb salvage, in which my knee uh, and the tumor would be meticulously picked apart and replaced with an artificial joint, uh, and I'd be able to keep my leg. It would cosmetically, I mean, it'd still be flesh and blood in my leg. The, the downside is that the artificial joint would be extremely fragile such that I would never be able to return to sports because it could break. Uh, he said even activities like biking or going in the ocean would be a risk because, you know, a wave could hit it just right and shatter the artificial joint. Uh, and for a while, that was actually the choice that I went with because it's as a 12-year-old, you're not really going to help. I guess I should say what the second choice was, was yeah, amputation of my leg. Uh, and, and as a 12-year-old, the initial instinct is obviously going to be to keep the leg. Um, but as I kind of began considering what that might look like and began considering what my goals were long term, uh, you know, my, my opinions started to shift. I remember uh, thinking, thinking back to when I was younger and how my dad would go out in the yard with me and play football or baseball. We'd go on runs and hikes uh, and, and how I, you know, long term wanted to do that with my own kids. And going through with limb salvage would kind of render that impossible. And so that was kind of the, uh, the kicker for me that said, nope, I think amputation is the right choice. It would give me the best chance to return to an active lifestyle. And I could, you know, go forth, go forth after that with no restrictions. And so I ultimately made the decision uh, at 12 years old to amputate my right leg for the sake of returning to uh, the lifestyle that I wanted. Uh, I can't. I still can't. You know, and I, I got to know you just a little bit after that, and you were positive, which I thought was so impressive. Like you, you were bald. You were still going through treatment, but you still had a positivity about you. What was what allowed you to be positive during those those times? Sure. Um, I mean, first and foremost, it was the community around me. My friends and family really, really rallied. The entire town of Middlebury came together so many different times. Uh, whether it's fundraisers or just to keep my spirits up, and that really helped distract me from, um, you know, the stuff that I was going through, which was terrible. Um, and there were days where being positive wasn't possible, um, and that's to be expected. But I think what I learned pretty quickly was, you know, being negative and really sulking and taking in the negatives of any situation is not going to get me anywhere. Um, it's not going to change the situation. The cancer's not going away because I cry about it. That if I can take everything sort of as a lesson, as a learning curve, and carry a growth mindset, then I'll be able to come out of it in the best situation possible. And honestly, a lot of it was me wanting to make sure my decision to amputate my leg was the correct decision. You know, if I didn't take it seriously, if I didn't have a, you know, positive growth mindset, like I said, then I would come out not able to return to an active lifestyle. You know, I, I wouldn't know how to walk. And so a lot of it was just making sure I made the right decision by just sort of taking advantage and, and, and trying to take control of the few things I could control. Notre Dame senior and three-time world champion in the Paralympics, Sam Grew joining us here on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays, Middlebury native. Yes, he goes to Notre Dame, but he does have a very strong Notre Dame football connection, and that's from that 2012 football season. You know, Sam, you're sick. You just had your leg amputated, and then you get a connection with the football team and basically get adopted by the team. Take us through that process and how much being around that football team during that magical season really helped you um, get through cancer. Totally. There is no doubt in my mind that I would not be uh, where I am today if it weren't for the Notre Dame football team. And it really started in the hospital bed when I was, um, you know, I had 22 sessions of chemotherapy 
each lasting uh, a week in the hospital. So I had plenty of time in there. And uh, there was a, a Notre Dame assistant coach who was coming in and volunteering um, a few times. And we got, a, we got to talk in. And I think he kind of realized quickly that my passion for sports and my, my desire to return to sports really uh, would resonate with the football team. And after talking more, he hatched the idea of sort of adopting me onto the team. He saw it as a uh, a way for both me and the team to benefit and that me and my fight to, you know, beat cancer or return to football would really motivate the guys to keep pushing. And their support and their, um, you know, structure would give me the ability to take my mind off of things and push me to continue uh, fighting my own fight. And so that's exactly what he put into place. And so a few weeks later, I uh, we had a formal adoption ceremony onto the team. And um, right off the bat, it was like a brotherhood. You know, there were there was so many guys that went out of their way to make sure that uh, I knew that I was um, cared for. They wanted to make sure we were getting a, a genuine connection. You know, I'm still friends with these guys today. Uh, and it it worked wonders in distracting me from um, what I was going through. And, you know, if we fast forward to the actual football season, I was walking around with five 10-pound uh, IV bags on my back running the entire game, but I wasn't going to miss a single game because it was my brothers out in the field. And so uh, being in the locker room and seeing it behind the scenes and feeling like I was a part of every win was just incredible, uh, especially in 2012, um, you know, undefeated season. Uh, and, and I was even there in Miami for uh, whatever that game was. <laughs> um, and so I think when I look back, I kind of see that as my first transition back into sports because it wasn't actually me out there competing on the field, but it was me. Mentally, I felt like I was. I felt like I was part of that team, and that really helped me transition my mindset into the place it needed to be in order to succeed uh, in my own endeavors. What's your favorite memory from that season? It's got to be Stanford. Rainy game, total comeback, and I was down on the field. I remember the excitement of it. I remember how big it was, but not necessarily. I believe Manti actually stuffed them on the goal line, on the one-yard line for the win. Goal line stand. Yep, and um, I was down there 40, 30 feet away on the field, and the place erupted, Um, and and I'll never forget that. Um, But there's so many others as well. Jeez. I gotta write these down. <laughs> <laughs> you well, you could definitely write a book yeah. <laughs> one day. Sam Grew joining us here on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. He's a three-time world champion. He's the world record holder um, in terms of Paralympians in the high jump. He's from Middlebury. He's a Notre Dame senior. He wants to be a doctor one day. He's an inspirational story, and we're so uh, proud to be able to share his story once again with you. I've been able to uh, share Sam's story over the years, and. It, even starting this interview, it's been weird hearing your voice as a grown adult from where it was. Not even when you were winning uh, and going to Doha and 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 Rio and doing well, you're still a, a kid at those points. Um, so you start the high jump then, basically a, a year or two later. You go cancer free in 2013, and then you start doing high jump in 2014. How did this come to be? Who came up with this concept to to kind of get you to? To do the high jump. Yeah. So so the first thing actually after um, being cancer-free that I did was try out for my high school basketball team, uh, the freshman team. And I made that, and I uh, loved it. I loved being back on the court. And so as soon as that would, was over, I decided, all right, sure, I'll, I'll try out lacrosse. I never played lacrosse, but um, 
I had so much momentum at that point and so much uh, desire to be back on the field, and that worked. And then actually football as well. And that worked for, you know, the first year and a half or so after uh, completing my treatment. Uh, and, and around that time, my dad had heard of a uh, adaptive sports competition that was happening outside of Chicago uh, for track and field. Uh, adaptive sports being people with physical disabilities competing in all the different track and field events. Um, and I had never done that. I never done track and field, and I had um, never really uh, seen myself as an adaptive athlete. And so I was kind of hesitant to give it a try, but uh, he convinced me. And uh, I tried so many events that day because I didn't know what I was going to do. And honestly, I, I, I fell in love with a few of them, uh, including high jump. And the only reason I stuck with high jump was because one of the uh, like one of the national team coaches approached me and said, hey, you know, you looked really good in that. I think you should pursue that. And so that that stuck with me. That was that was enough uh, convincing that I needed. And so uh, from that point on, I started training in high jump and, and quickly fell in love with it so much more. Uh, you know, started training with a local coach and really started to find success. Um, you know, take that a year later is when I um, made my first international team. And so it really did all happen very quickly. And there were so many different things to learn. You know, high jump is just it's just kind of where I ended up. And I'm so happy that she came up and approached me. You say a year later, and that's the craziest thing. You start the high jump in 2014, and in 2015, you're in Doha winning gold, the gold medal at the, at the World Championships for, for, for Paralympics. I mean, that's insane. Did you even know what – I mean, did you even really know what you were doing yet at that point? I mean, looking back at it? No, no, not even remotely. And um, that's the craziest thing, and, and – you know, if I go back and watch the the Doha competition, I was seated last or second to last. I was the youngest by a considerable amount, had no experience, um, and I was just looking to not get last place, which is not the most ambitious goal. But for my, you know, first or second international competition, it was something. Uh, and and as the competition started unfolding, I was jumping better than than I ever had, and um, pretty quickly surpassed my personal best. And, you know, I, at this point, three, four, five different athletes have dropped out. So, yeah, I've avoided the last place. Shoot, let's see where else I can land. Um, and so kept going and kept going. Eventually, it was just the three of us. There's just three of us left. And at that point, I knew I was secured a medal. In a, <laughs> there came a certain point. I think when I think at the point when there was three of us left, I was already 16 or 17 centimeters over my personal best, which in high jump is just absurd. I mean, you can get one or two centimeters over your personal best per year. And so to be, yeah, I ended up 20 centimeters over. And so to, to, to hit that last jump where I knew it would secure the gold medal was just crazy because I had never jumped anything close to that height. And so many different things were just clicking all at once that I couldn't hit in training. I couldn't get them all to work at once. And whether it was the adrenaline or, you know, the 120 degree heat, I don't know what it was, but it all came together and things just worked after that. It just clicked. Um, and that's, you know, obviously that's when I became a world champion. And I think that was a really defining moment for me in my athletic career. No doubt. I I remember getting you on via Skype and we were both like going, you know, we're supposed to be unbiased journalists. I was cheering like crazy. I'm like, Sam, way to go. I'm like, I'm confused. I didn't think this was supposed to happen. And you're like, I don't think it was supposed to either. You know, 
total fluke, but now I can look back and well, it, wasn't it a happened fluke. a few times. It yeah, was, so. it, it wasn't a fluke. You end up winning the world championship two more times after that. But, you know, and then a year after that in 2016, you, you win silver at Rio at, at the Paralympics. And that gets confusing because you're a Paralympian and it's the Paralympics. But mm-hmm. at the Paralympics, which is the big one, obviously, mm-hmm. right? It's it's your equivalent of the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Was that a disappointment because you had won gold or was it, dude, I just won silver <laughs> at the Paralympics? What was the mindset in that regard? So anyone who knows me knows I've always been overly competitive to a fault. And so the for after Rio... And for a considerable amount of time afterward, it was disappointment because I wanted gold so bad and I was just, you know, half an inch shy of winning that gold medal. Um, now I'm a little bit more mature and I've, I've um, learned some lessons and I know what perspective means and I can say, wow, how special is that that I won the silver medal, you know, at the Rio 2016 Paralympic Games. Um, and it, it's not the spirit of the Paralympics to be vengeful and to be disappointed in yourself. You know, it's all about overcoming challenges and inclusion and really just embracing what adaptive sports is all about. And so now I can look back and celebrate that in its entirety. But at the time, <laughs> um, that wasn't possible. And, and for better or worse, it really fueled me. Uh, you know, I've, I've won gold every competition since then because I was not prepared to uh, to feel disappointed like that again. And so, um, you know, it was, it was a big, big learning opportunity for me. Uh, and that's probably the biggest reason I'm so disappointed about the postponement yeah. of, of Tokyo because the, it's the one thing that's been elusive for you. Exactly. It's the only, you know, it's the only gold medal I haven't won. Uh, that, that sounds so cocky, but, um, you know, it's the one thing that I haven't gotten yet. And now it's just another year away. Um, but I'll be patient. I'll be stronger, and uh, you know I'll attack that. I'll cross that bridge when the time comes. Sam Grew joining us here, three-time world champion in the high jump in Paralympics. He's also a Middlebury native and a Notre Dame senior. Sam, we talked earlier about uh, Notre Dame and being adopted on the football team, and now you're just you're buddies with guys on the football team. How how strange is that? Now going from a guy who idolized the members of the football team to just being friends with the guys. It's so bizarre. And I try not to think about it when I'm just chatting with my football friends um, because it really, really changes the perspective. You know, <laughs> back in 2012, I saw these guys as the biggest, strongest guys that are just, they're, they're geniuses. They're at Notre Dame. You know, they've got it all put together. And now I'm a student, um, super good friends with, you know, several guys on the football team. I have class with them. And it's just like, Nope, none of us really know what we're doing. None of us have it put together. Um, these guys are just hilarious. Um, they're just trying to make it day by day, too. And so just a total, it really humanizes what it means to be a, uh, a Notre Dame football player. Um, I think I think even just the general public could, could, learn, could learn from that because I think people hold um, athletes, whether it's in college or professional, just to unrealistic standards and think they're these perfect humans. And... Folks, I'm here to tell you that's just not the case. That's not true. Um, and it's been really cool to see that and now just to see uh, my own growth as I am, you know, on the, in the same class as them. Whereas before I was the, uh, you know, a kid going through cancer that they were taking in as a brother. You want to be a doctor. Obviously, I assume this whole experience is the reason why. Take us through 
um, what your objectives are and, and why and why this was and when maybe you started first thinking about this and why you want to be a doctor. Yeah, so I spent two years of my life pretty much in the hospital. Uh, and during that time, I really got to learn the intangibles that goes into being a good doctor. Um, it's compassion, it's empathy, it's bedside manner, it's um, you know treating the patient as a whole. And I don't think these are things that can be taught in a textbook. Um, and really since then, I've felt drawn to a career in medicine where I'll have the opportunity to put those lessons into practice uh, and sort of give back to you know, the, the community that um, saved my life. And so that was my first, uh, first draw back into medicine. I never really considered it a possibility, uh, especially early on, considering I essentially entered high school with a sixth grade education. I missed all of seventh and eighth grade. And so, um, you know, a career in medicine was not necessarily something that I could reach after entering high school with, um, you know, two years behind my peers. Through tremendous work, mornings and mornings and nights, training and, and, and catching back up academically, I was able to get back on track and I was able to graduate, um, you know, top 10 in my class. And from then it became more feasible to actually pursue one of the most rigorous um, career paths available. And so it's been a whole journey, and uh, Notre Dame has really made it possible for sure. There's been so many ups and downs, and now that I'm a senior, uh, it's kind of weird just to kind of know and, and know that, yeah, I, I'll, I'll get into medical school, and I will be a doctor, um, because there were so many years of my life where that wasn't um, guaranteed. And so now it's just kind of... Um, I'm just ready to take the next steps, I guess. Sam, thank you very much. Uh, we, we appreciate you taking the time to uh, share your story. Awesome. Thank you so much. That is Sam Grew, uh, outstanding young man. I've I've been blessed to be able to tell his story a number of times, whether I was at WNDU or now here. Never got a chance to do it in 22 minutes and 30 seconds, so it's great to tell the whole scope of the story. What a incredible young man. Well, and the growth over time, um, just inspiring. And then, as you said, I mean, so articulate. He really, he's so well-spoken. Um, and yeah, just so inspiring. I can't imagine going through that at 11. Like, wow. The process of deciding whether or not to keep your leg or not keep your leg at 11 and 12 years old, that was probably the most remarkable thing mm -hmm. because he, you know, who wants to lose their leg? And obviously he made the right choice because he's uh, succeeded quite a bit without that leg. Yeah, it's really amazing. Yeah, it's truly inspiring. So, Sam Grew, thank you very much for him for joining us. Uh, Indiana football sectionals continue last night. St. Joe's season came to an end here on Redeemer Radio. Lures, Dwanger, Marion, all winning big. Postseason coverage continues on 95.7 and 106.3 next Friday night with the sectional championships here in Michiana. We will broadcast Marion at Jimtown. Tailgate talk starts in both Fort Wayne and South Bend next Friday at 6 p.m. Up next, it's our game day sprint as we get you set for Notre Dame and Georgia Tech. We break down the matchup Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays is back right after this. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services to save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.
Welcome back on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Angel DiCarlo, Kevin Downey back with you here. Notre Dame Georgia Tech 330 kickoff down in Atlanta as it will be the Irish taking on Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech 2-4 and four in the season, 2-3 and three in the AC. Beat Florida State 16-13, lost to UCF. 49-21, lost to Syracuse 37-20. That's a big red flag if you lose in Syracuse this year. Beat Louisville 46-27, so they beat Louisville by more points than Notre Dame did, okay? Yep. Uh, lost to Clemson 73-7. to It's probably going to be the one that stands out. Yeah. <clears throat> and then lost to uh, at Boston College last week 48-27. So their defense is not good. Yeah, I mean, they have a couple good players on defense. The two guys that stand out would be their linebackers. Uh, number 44, Jackson, he leads the team in tackles. Um, 46 tackles. Tackle for 3.5 uh, tackles for loss. Interception. Uh, and then the guy that I think is exciting is the number six, uh, David Curry. He's a senior linebacker. He just seems to have the energy. But those around him obviously give up 73 points at one time during the season. You can't, you can't blow that. <laughs> too big out of proportion uh 49 points they've given up 37 points they've given up 27 73 48 yeah i mean this is not the greatest defense now they got some playmakers on offense mm -hmm. freshman quarterback, and young. very young freshman quarterback and jeff sims freshman running back and jameer gibbs let's hear from uh kyle hamilton bo bauer about the uh freshman standouts for the georgia tech offense I see two individuals who are elite performers. Uh, the quarterback is uh, good in space. Same with the running back. The running back is a, a good pass catcher, and they're both uh, elite in individuals that we have to respect. Quarterback is young, but he's a really good athlete. We have to be aware of him in the passing games along with the running game. Um, the running back is a great pass catcher out of the backfield. He uh, He's a great receiver when he gets out in space and uh, not just going to run swing routes or a little uh, cut routes across the field. So we have to be aware of him coming out the backfield as well. That was Kyle Hamilton. Before that, Bo Bauer talking about freshman quarterback Jeff Sims of Georgia Tech and freshman running back Jameer Gibbs. Sims, uh, you know, throws about 200 yards per game, eight touchdowns, 10 interceptions. That stands out a little bit. He's yeah. a good runner, though, 360 yards rushing. He averages 5.2 yards per carry and four touchdowns. And, and then Gibbs, uh, 308 yards rushing, 4.5 yards per carry i mean they're young and explosive i mean i think they're going to be good mm -hmm. you know i don't know how much of a difference they're going to make today but they're going to be good what are your thoughts on what you've seen from those guys well i mean i think that they're difference makers as far as uh you know they they are doing a lot to actually <laughs> to score points and to get things going there they have a good wide receiver number two uh sophomore that's brown he's explosive too the thing that's kind of odd to me is that their offensive line they are older players you know they have more seniors um and they've actually done a good job statistically of not giving up a lot of sacks but at the same time the quarterback runs a lot and uh, you know those 10 interceptions huh, a little scary yeah so <laughs> what worries you most of your georgia tech um yeah if i'm georgia tech i'm just worried about my uh worried about my run defense to be honest with you um now, I think they do have one possible uh, advantage or one way that they can get after it. Special teams, they're pretty good at special teams. Okay. I'd go for it, take some chances, fake punts, returns. They have a really good punter, for what's worth. Okay. He can flip the field. He's going to be punting a lot today, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> uh, what worries you if you're Brian Kelly? I would still 
<laughs> well, I guess stay focused on the game when the actual kickoff starts, even though I spoke different beginning of the week. Um, but yeah, stay focused on the games, you know, do your best, get that pass game a little bit more advanced, uh, and then just try to prove your dominance. And let's get to the segment that everyone loves, the one where we are wrong every single time. We were <laughs> wrong by a mile, country mile last week oh. between Notre Dame and Pittsburgh. We both had them winning and covering the spread, yeah. but they won by a lot more. So what's your prediction today? I'm, I overcorrect, so I'm going 45-10 to 10 Notre Dame. I'm going 38-13 Notre Dame, which probably means it's going to actually be a close game because yep. that's the way <laughs> predictions have gone in 2020. Um, gosh, it might just be that Louis. This is it feels like the Louisville game all over again. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I, they're they're going to win by 100 today. They should. They better. Otherwise, next week's going to be uh, scary. All right, that'll do it for Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Notre Dame FCU, where you bank does matter. Thanks to our audio operator today, Ilya Glasman. For Kevin Downey, I'm Angel DiCarlo. 3.30 kickoff for Notre Dame and Georgia Tech. And we'll be back with you next Saturday morning at 9 a.m. here on Redeemer Radio. For Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays, we close out our pregame the way the Irish close out their pregame in prayer. Hi, this is Father Nate Wills. I'm a Holy Cross priest, a faculty member at Notre Dame's Alliance for Catholic Education, and one of the chaplains to the Notre Dame football team. This is a prayer that the players pray together at the end of our pregame mass. Let us pray. Grant, we beseech you, O Lord our God, that we may enjoy continual health of mind and body, and by the glorious intercession of Mary our Lady, May we accept the joys and trials of this life and someday enter into eternal happiness. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Go Irish! This has been a presentation of Redeemer Radio Sports. Thanks for joining us for Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Enjoy today's game. Looking for a fresh way to start your day? Need a little pick-me-up for your faith in the morning? We've got you covered with the Daily Refill. Join me, Andrea Serrani, weekday mornings from 7 to 8 for the best Catholic podcast, stories of faith from around the world and right here in our own community, plus some fun and games to help us start our days with faith and joy. Tune in weekdays at 7 for the Daily Refill on Redeemer Radio and in the Redeemer Radio app.